April and uh, Open Doors is, uh, you know, uh, every year. Our, our giving together, um, we're able to give to Open Doors, which is just really cool. Great. Well, um, welcome. My name is Michael. Uh, for those of you who haven't met me before, I'm a pastor here with my beautiful wife, Ali, and uh, I'm excited. Next week, my favorite preacher is preaching. Yeah, we get to hear from Ali. It's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I think she's going to be sharing some of her story. So if you haven't heard um, her story before, you'll be really impacted. She has a powerful story of, of new life and redemption in Jesus. All right, so we are, um, we are looking at the book of Philippians. Uh, I, just feel, I feel a little bit like this morning, like we're a little bit, we're a little bit flat. Yeah, we were singing, we welcome you with praise, and we were kind of like, yeah, we welcome you with praise. No, like, come on, Jesus is here. Yeah? Like, I don't know why you came. I, I came because I get to meet with you and meet with Jesus. Like, this is worth celebrating. It's worth getting a little bit excited about. And, uh, you know, yeah, someone once said to me, church is just full of hype. And I was like, yeah, well, Jesus is worth getting hyped up about sometimes, you know? Like, he's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, he's pretty good. So anyway, so we're going to look at Philippians anyway, and then we're going to continue in praise and worship, and uh, let's respond this morning uh, to what Jesus is doing. And I, I pray that Jesus is doing something powerful in your life at the moment, um, and you know we get to share in that together. That's pretty cool. So, so last week we looked at Philippians one, and thanks, Erin, you did a great job of um, sharing sharing that. Part of that uh, we'll find out soon. Part of that scripture is actually like a poem, and it suggested that when they used to read it, they'd sing it. So, luckily, I didn't ask you to sing it, um, but that's okay. So through the book of Philippians, we're seeing kind of this overall theme that as we, as we lay down our lives through humility and sacrificial love, that, that as we do that, we are becoming a united expression of Jesus to our world. And so Paul exhorts the church in Philippi, and he says well, that whilst he is in prison and he's waiting to find out whether he's going to be executed or whether he's going to be released, he, he says to the church in Philippi, no matter what happens to me, you get to live. And so I encourage you to live a life worthy of the gospel. In other words, this beautiful gospel is worthy of your lives. Hey, guys, I was up here. Yeah. <laughs> We're all looking at the cute kids. <laughs> oh, these two are so cute, eh? Uh, he's stolen his keys. They're actually my keys. Anyway. <laughs> So Paul was encouraging us that, that the good news of Jesus is worth any persecution, any trial, no matter what we go through, that Jesus is more than enough. He is more than enough for us. And so Paul was trying to get the people of Philippi to, to sink deep roots in the reality of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he's going to do, and so that they can actually live out this transformed life, live out this expression of Jesus that we've been called to. And we'll see here in chapter 2 that he says that he encourages us to live as bright shining stars in the midst of a dark world. That, that no matter how dark the world is getting, he says you will be the shining light in the midst of a dark world. And I just want to encourage you, sometimes we can get uh, anger and outrage at what is happening in our world. And we can say it's getting darker, but let me encourage you, the darker it gets, the brighter you will shine. Yeah, and this is what we're being called to. It's not that we're ignorant, but it's just, I feel like I'm just kind of indifferent. 
Do you know what I mean? No matter what happens in the world, all I'm worried about is how bright am I shining as a light to this world? You know, whatever anger and outrage is helping me accomplish, love will actually do a better job. And so, so this, and so this whole message that Paul was encouraging the church in Philippi, it still rings true for us right now, no matter how dark the world is getting, um, no matter how increasingly secular it is becoming, we are the people who are called to be set apart from, on behalf of, for the benefit of. Yeah, this is the call. It was the call to Adam and Eve. It was the call to the Israelites. It's the call to us. This is our vocation. Yeah, and so, so we are the people who are called to follow the way of Jesus, and we are the people who truly believe that God's design for human flourishing is the best way to live. All right, are we doing okay? Let me pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Father, we thank you that, that uh, in your word, in John 1, it says that the light shines in the darkness, but the light was not overcome by the darkness. Father, we thank you that you are the light of the world and then you have shared that with us and you have called us to be light in dark places. And we thank you that that sometimes requires us to go into dark places. I thank you that there is no point in us, point, us all pointing our lights at each other and saying, look how bright I am. You actually invite us to go into the dark places. And so, Father, I pray that we would just, that revelation, that, that truth would sink into our hearts this morning, that we would be a church who shine bright, not because we're comparing ourselves to one another, but because there is a darkness that you are calling us into. Yeah, so, Father, we just thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into truth this morning? We thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 All right, so one of the key um, so, uh, questions this morning, uh, there'll be a, a number pop up on the screen if you've got any questions. Um, if we have time, we'll answer them. If, if we don't, then we'll, um, we'll look at them in the squadcast. Um, but the key theme in chapter two, if there's one sort of overarching theme that we could say about chapter two is, is this idea of humility, that Jesus shows us what humility really is and then invites us to live this life of humility. And so what is humility? Humility is, is not thinking less of yourself, but it's just thinking of yourself less. And so we, we, we've been invited to consider these ideas of pride, and I, I think that if we think about pride and humility, we also have to think about false humility and false confidence. Um, and if we were to say the opposite of humility is, if I was to say, what's the opposite of humility? You would say... Pride. Yeah, and so that's naturally where we would go. And, and, and whilst I think that is true, let me just give you an alternative thought to maybe help um, get that maybe to sink down a little bit deeper. Uh, the opposite of humility could also be insecurity. Yeah, so, so it is out of our insecurity that we live in a life of pride or false humility. And, and so, so when our identity is firm in Jesus, we, we neither go towards false humility, neither do we go towards pride, because we understand what true humility is. So, so a, a prideful person is also an insecure person. Yeah, so there's two aspects here. We could say that, that, that one is, is a, an aspect of superiority, so we are seeing our identity through our superiority um, over others, or we are seeing our identity as being inferior to others, and neither are Jesus. Being more superior than others is not Jesus, and being less inferior than others is not Jesus either, but Jesus calls us to live what is true humility. 
Um, Francis Frangipani, in uh, the, his book, The Three Battlegrounds, he said this. He said, Satan fears virtue. He is most terrified of humility. He hates it. He sees a humble person and it sends chills down his back. His hair stands up when Christians kneel down. For true humility is the surrender of the soul to God. The devil trembles before the meek because in the very areas where he once had access, there stands the Lord. And Satan is terrified of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. Are you ready? All right, so, uh, so verse 1, chapter 2 says, Therefore, so it starts with therefore, and we know if there's a therefore, we have to ask what is the therefore, therefore. And so we, he is following on the continuous for, thought from, from chapter 1. So we're given the Bible with chapters and verses. Back then it was just one letter. Right, so we have to go back before we can go forward. And so what did Paul finish with last week? He said, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have, therefore, therefore. So Paul, Paul is following this thought and what he's basically saying, this beautiful gospel is worthy of your lives. And Paul echoes real similar thoughts in other letters. So in Romans 12, he starts again with therefore, and he says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and pro proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, straight after this, in Romans 12, he, he goes on to encourage the church in Rome to live lives of what? humility. So what are the patterns of this world? Don't conform to the patterns of this world. The patterns, are the, uh, the, the patterns of the world say, take from people, grasp for power, devour one another. That The patterns of puffed up pride and comparison and competition, these are just some of the patterns of the world that, that Paul is encouraging them and us to turn away from so that we can be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ which looks like humble, sacrificial love. All right, so he goes on. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being what? Like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. And so he's saying, if there is any exhortation in Christ, make my joy full. If there's any consolation of love, make my joy full. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, then make my joy full. If there's any tender mercies and compassion, then make my joy full. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. See, these four phrases are just the same thing, really. Paul's just saying the same thing different ways. Paul is calling the church in Philippi to be fully united with each other so that they can gain strength from one another. And so Paul uses this word love here. Uh, in, in Scripture, love, uh, we have two 
uh, different ideas of love. There is agape and philippo. Um, and so these are two different, uh, sorry, philos, uh, which are the two different uh, Greek words for love. So philos is more of a mutual love. So uh, it's like a brotherly love. So I give and then you give back. And there's like this expectation of mutual love. So we're, we're giving and, and taking from one another in, in mutual affection. Um, but Paul is actually talking about agape here, which is to give without wanting anything back. So Paul is actually calling us into love that gives no matter what that person has done, no matter what they look like, and no matter what sort of lifestyle they are living, Paul is saying, love that person and don't expect anything back. So this is the type of love that Paul is uh, calling us to. And then he goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, so the Greek word here is kino, uh, kinodoxian. All right, kinodoxian, and that comes from two words uh, which are basically putting the, together these ideas of being um, empty or vain or devoid of truth. And then doxa is, talks about glory or splendor. And so, um, so it, pretty much this word means empty glory or vain glory. It, it's having a type of glory for yourself that is actually empty. Um, and... and uh, Sometimes we talk about people being puffed up or full of air. That is a kinodoxian person. Um, another phrase that you might have heard of is empty suits. The, the kinodoxian type of people are people who are just empty suits. It looks all good on the outside, but there's nothing of substance on the, on the inside. And, and so Paul is saying that anything we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit is making us kinodoxian. We are just empty suits with no substance. But Paul is offering a different way, the Jesus way. He's leading us to discover the more beautiful way of Jesus that creates an environment for human flourishing and shows the world what he is like. So he says this, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So Paul was saying, hey, adopt a humble opinion of yourself. He, he's saying, willingly accept the lowest place. And so if we were to think about like high, being, being elevated, being high or being low, like they're kind of relative words that, that need a standard of measurement. And so if we were to say maybe that like seven feet is quite high for a high jumper, anyone jump seven feet? Probably not. So seven feet is pretty high, yeah? But it's not that high for a plane. Seven feet is high for a high jumper. It's not that high for a plane. So it depends on the standard of measurement. And what Paul was saying, if you measure your humility against one another, it's a faulty measurement. We always should measure our humility against the life of Jesus. Because he is the true measure. And so I could say that I'm, hu I'm a humble person compared to someone else. Pointless. Am I humble as in am I carrying the life of Jesus? That's the true measure. And, and so what happens is that we end up with this comparison, competition. And what destroys unity? Comparison. That is the thing that destroys unity. Unity. 
I've just I've noticed even in my own life that the, the closer I'm walking with Jesus and carrying his presence, um, the less I criticize and find fault in others. And, and it's because my attitude is actually in check with the Holy Spirit. It's because I, I'm in a good place of humility and dependence on Jesus and giving my life for this beautiful gospel. See, see Paul said in another passage, you see the, that God gives grace to the humble but refuses the proud. See, pride doesn't receive anything from God. Have you ever considered that? It actually puts us in opposition to God. Like if you wanna put a glass ceiling on your life, live with pride. Humility is actually the ability to receive. In humility, we receive from God. We are empowered by him. His spirit comes alive in us. But, but pride is actually arrogant independence. I don't need you, God. I'll do this on my own. I'll sort this out. But actually, God is saying, no, no. Humility is full dependence on him. Verse five, he goes on to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Are you picking up a theme here that Paul is really talking about relationships? He's talking about relationships. So in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. And you'll see in chapter four, actually, he specifically addresses a relational conflict in the church. And we'll get there. All right, so following on from the statement, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, uh, Paul tells a poem. He gives us a, po a poem, um, and it's a, a, a chiasm, um, which is an interesting sort of poem, and it tells us the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in poetic form. It references Genesis uh, 3 and also the suffering servant in Isaiah. Um, and so a, a chiasm is... Uh, has the structure that has something at the center of it, and the center thing is the most important. So it, it builds to something, and you have the, the center thing that's really important, and then it continues a journey back. So it builds to something and then goes back. The center is the important thing. So um, I've got it uh, on the slide, if we could pop that up, so we can see just how Paul has structured this chiasm for us. And I could be saying that wrong. Is it chiasm or chiasm? No one knows. Great. I'm saying it right then. All right. <laughs> so, so let me read this and follow along. In, in Philippians 2, and so we start with verse 6, it says, uh, so remember, in all your relationships have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the central bit, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, so the crux of this chiasm is, is, is point D, which is Jesus' death. And so Paul draws the other ideas together around Jesus' crucifixion. He's making that the center point. It is the, like the turning point. 
which shows how far Jesus is willing to go to actually serve people. And so it's almost like Jesus has plotted this path and then invites us to follow this path. And he's saying that actually to find true life is to follow this path of servanthood, humility, even death. The death of self, and then we, as we follow that, then Jesus, he's, Jesus is exalted. Power is restored, I'll, and we'll get to that in a minute. We'll show you how this works. So Paul is, is giving this chiasm to show how we can imitate Christ in relationships. All right, so this is the key. This is the key to your marriage. This is the key to your relationships. This is the key to how you relate to people. So the first thing that Paul invites us to is to follow Jesus in laying down power. Laying down power. This is the key. This is the first step. This is how we relate to one another. We lay down our power. See, relationships are actually supposed to be a power union, but they often can end up a power struggle. But when we lay down power, we are imitating Christ's humility to value others above ourselves, not looking to our own interests, but to the interests of others. See, Paul was saying Jesus laid down his power, all that he could have had, all that he could have carried into the earth, he laid it all down. He didn't see that being like God was something to grasp. And who knows, we go back to the garden and we see that humanity saw that being like God was something to grasp and take hold of. Jesus undoes that by saying, actually, I'll come into humanity by laying that aside. So he comes into humanity's broken story and meets us where we are at, laying down all of his authority, power, and status, and says, I will meet you here, not to condemn the world, but to redeem the world from the inside out. So this is the gospel story. So how can we have power in relationships? What would that look like? Um, you know, power can be totally intoxicating. It can give us the ability to control people, coerce others through through fear and manipulation. You know, power can be knowledge, where we could have the sense of superiority over others because we have more knowledge. We know more and we speak down to people with our knowledge. Power can be spiritual or religious. We could have a spiritual power over people. You know, I'm a better Christian kind of stuff. You know, you're not, living, you're not living like I am. I've got more power over you. I'm a better Christian. And power can be physical. We can physically control people. Danny Silk once said that the only absolute way to be the most powerful person in the room is this. Rid yourself of the need to be the most powerful person in the room. Our next series, we're going to be we're going to be um, talking about sexuality in the gospel, and, and obviously we're we're going to be talking about all sorts of topics that I'm sure you're going to be really uncomfortable with. <laughs> One of my key things that I really feel God stirring in me at the moment is is how how do we pastor and disciple the LGBTQ community? We we had someone message our Facebook page last night someone who doesn't come to our church 
and I'm pretty sure has no idea about the series we're about to do. And they said, Michael, we were praying and we just felt like God was saying that God is about to do something with the transgender community through your church. I'll read the whole thing when we start the series. But, but here's the thing. At some point, we have to follow and imitate Jesus and actually lay down our power to meet people where they are at. We have to lay down any sense of superiority and any sense that they are inferior and lay that power down and meet them. We'll talk about that more. All right. So the next thing is Jesus invites us into servanthood. The way of Jesus to serve one another in love. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about codependent and interdependent relationships. And so the point is this, it is impossible to serve someone that you are trying to take something from. You cannot serve, I cannot serve Ellie or even love Ellie truly as a husband if I am trying to get something from her. We are only true to serve those who we are no longer trying to take from. So Jesus shows us he came into this world and demanded nothing. Showed us servanthood. And then he showed us humility and obedience. And then he leads us to the center point, death on the cross. And then he invites us into this, we, we are called to participate in his death and resurrection. So we lay down our lives. Whoever wants to follow me must what? Take up their cross and follow me. Yeah, so he invites us to also take up our cross, lay down our lives for our relationships. And then the next part is it says God exalts. And when we did the series on James, we looked at that verse where James echoes this. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and what? He will lift you up. He will lift you up. See, the way of Jesus is the way of humility. It's laying down ourselves so that Christ can elevate us in the proper time. And, and, and then the next point here is that um, it says that at the name of Jesus, all right? And so in that culture, people considered a person's name to be more than just a simple label to identify a person. They believed that, that a name carried power. And so my point here is that Jesus shows us the example of laying down power first. He lays down power, but here we see in this chiasm that power is restored. But it's power and purity. Yeah, there's, there's a real sense here, I believe, that what Paul was trying to say, that, that through servanthood, through humility and laying down your lives, now you are ready to steward power. This, this power that God shares with humanity that we find in Genesis 1, he says, as you follow Jesus through this path of humility and service and death, now you can steward power properly. See, Jesus shows this example of laying down power, but here it's restored. Uh, really interesting if we want to, you know, remember relationships, we're talking about relationships. So, so in Ephesians 5, Paul says this, wives, obey your husbands as you obey the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. The church is his body, and he saved it. Wives should obey their husbands in everything, just as the church 
people obey Christ. Uh, I, I mean, I've heard people use this and they kind of stop there. Hey, you know, like if we're gonna use a verse to abuse and control and manipulate, here's a, here's a good one. Verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, how did he love the church? He died for it. He died for it. Come on, here's an example where power and authority misuse could be abusive. But Jesus says, hey, if you want to wield that kind of power, first you must die. I can guarantee you that 90% of my uh, counseling that I have done with, with uh, any sort of marriage counseling, uh, honestly, 90% is the man has not learned what it means to lay down his, his life for his wife. And he's trying to control her with that verse. Nah, makes me angry. <laughs> anyway. All right, so are we doing okay? <laughs> so the next part of the chiasm is, is, is this point that, that people will see and give honor to God. Yeah, so people will see this in you and give honor to God. And Matthew, Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah, so people will see this in us, the service and this humility and this laying down of our lives and they will give glory to God because of it. Come on, let's, let's live in such a way that he gets his reward. So here's the question that we must all ask, I think is, is this, as we read that, as we look at that in the context of relationships, we, we must ask this question and we must like, this is the way of Jesus, do you trust him? This is the way of Jesus, do you trust him? Laying down power, servanthood, humility, death of self. Uh, these are the ways of Jesus, do you trust him? Do you trust God's design for human flourishing? We have right relatedness with God, right relatedness with one another, and right relatedness with creation. In Proverbs 14, it says that the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. It goes on to say there is a way that seems right to a man, but its, its end is the way of death. Its end is the way of death. There is there's the way of Jesus, and then there's the way that we kind of just go, well, I'm going to do it my own way. Paul Tripp um, said recently that independent strength isn't spiritual maturity, but a delusion. Weak and joyful dependence is the result of spiritual maturity. Acting like you can handle what you can't handle isn't strength. It takes spiritual strength to seek the help of another. He went on to say that boasting about your strength isn't a sign of strength, but of weakness. Confessing your weakness is a sign of spiritual strength. See, there's actually glory in our weakness. And Paul said that his power, Jesus, Jesus' power is made perfect in our weakness. So I'm not talking about being weak in character or weak in spirit. I'm talking about this idea of self-reliance. 
self-reliance. You know, our, our kids nowadays in school are taught to be um, resilient. And, and uh, whilst I understand there's some, some good aspects to that, but the whole idea is that they are to be reliant on self. But actually, actually, the way of Jesus is to be interdependent, that we, we are reliant on one another and we are reliant on Jesus. Not self, but on one another and on Jesus. Are we doing okay? All right. Verse 12, he goes on to say, therefore, all right, so therefore, in light of this chiasm, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. All right, so um, this is a verse that I've had lots of people ask questions about at different times. What does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Anyone wondered that? Good. All right, I think there's two possible ways to, to see this. One of the things that I, uh, that I notice in there is that Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, and so there's two possible ways to see this. Either Paul is addressing people's individual salvation, and I think there's value in that, or he is addressing this as a corporate thing, as a church-wide thing. And, and so I personally believe that it's um, both and, not either or, that both of these aspects are really important. Because ultimately their context is unity and relationships. And, and so what Paul was saying, I think, is this. He's saying, now in light of this, how we relate to one another through humility and service uh, and the death of self, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Your own salvation. Not, hey, you need to work out everybody else's salvation. You, you need to make sure that everybody else is doing the right thing. You need to make sure that they believe in the right thing. No, no, Paul was saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. First, bring yourself down. Look at yourself. Are there any big planks sticking out of your eye, you know, like before you start looking at the speck in your brother's eye? You know, maybe you've got the wrong perspective. He's saying, work out your own salvation. And I think that's really important for unity. You want to remember that A.W. Tozer quote that I used a while ago about the, the pianos that are tuned. If they're tuned to each other, they get out of tune. But if they're tuned to one tuning fork, they're all united. And actually, if we are working out our own salvation, look at each looking to Christ, we would be more in unison than if we were each looking to, at each other trying to be united. Yeah, so work out your own salvation. But it's also, I believe, that Paul is addressing, that he's appealing to the church to work out the problems that plague it. Work out the envy and the rivalry and the selfish ambition and the disunity and selfishness that is going on. He's saying, work out those things. Do we want to go there? probably come up in a question. Do we have questions? Okay. All right. All right, I'm going to skip that. Let's just, just move to verse 14. And it says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may, may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So this word grumbling and arguing, it's, um, it, it's this, the idea of muttering and mur murmuring. 
if you break the word down, it's, it's like secret displeasure or secret debate. It's like behind the scenes stuff. It's stuff that's kept in the darkness. It's, it's murmuring and, and, and muttering with one another when there's displeasure with someone or something. Saying, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some versions would use the, the word complaining. Do everything without complaining. And, and um, you know, complaining is simply agreement with ungratefulness. No, no, he's saying live a grateful life. Don't look at what everyone else is doing. And, and I mean, I've, I've discovered this in my life that, that when I'm displeased with myself, when, when, my, when my identity is not secure in myself, then I actually look to everyone else around me to find the faults in them so that I can feel better about myself. It's called scapegoating. And so Paul was saying, hey, look, if you are going to live with a grumbling and arguing mentality, you're constantly scapegoating everyone else rather than looking at your own life. You're, you're actually taking from others to make yourself feel better about yourself. He says, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. If anything's going to destroy unity, it's that. And then he goes on to say this. Then, after all this, then you'll shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Cool. Questions? All right. The music team can come and get ready. That'd be great. Uh, first question. What does meeting people where they're at look like? How do you do that while still being yourself? Yeah, um, well, I think probably the, what the aspect I'm trying to um, press in on there is, is actually meeting with people, <laughs> like physically. Um, you know, hearing someone's story. I, I think that if we are called to love people, the first act of love is to listen. And, and so we need to actually listen to people's stories um, and listen to where they are at, how they got to where they are at. What, you know, what is in their life that has brought them to this place and how they're feeling and where they're at. And so when I'm saying, and sometimes that means laying down our sense of power. And that could mean that you might have all of the answers for that person. But the first act is to lay down that power and listen to them. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so we need to lay that down and meet them where they're at. Uh, how do we speak up about gifts and talents and strengths humbly, not to be the best person, in, uh, not to be the best in the room, but because you actually want to use those gifts God's given us, and often they're a passion to us, and we just want to fulfil that. Yeah, cool. I mean, that's a, a, a good thought. I mean, uh, I'd use this example, and, and it's the same with leadership. Like, so true leadership is not appointed; it's just recognised. So, so. Um, it all depends, like everyone here can operate in their gifts uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I, I struggle a little bit with the idea that we try and jam all of that into 
uh, an hour and a half on a Sunday, and, and if my gift has not been expressed in an hour and a half on a Sunday, then I'm not being recognized. Um, we cannot jam all of the kingdom into an hour and a half on a Sunday. It's not supposed to be. Um, I actually think that most of the spiritual gifts are actually for outside of the church. Uh, some, are, some are for edifying the church, but a lot of them are actually just for serving the people around us, wherever we are. Um, and so um, I, I think if, we, if we're asking the question, how, how do I get my gift recognized? That is the wrong question. Just use your gift. Do it wherever. Do it while you're having coffee. Do it, you know, if you've got a word of knowledge for someone, you don't, like if the church is operating truly and it's like, we talked about this on the Squadcast, like how amazing would it be if everyone on a Sunday came with something to give? I, I, invite, I invite us to be as messy as possible with what, with what that might look like. Like it could be really, like during our worship, during our communion, if you've got a word for someone, go and give it to them. If you've got someone on your heart, go and pray for them. You don't need to, to you know, have a mic to be able to use your gift. Um, you know, I'm, so I want, I'm, just, I'm just encouraging you, use your gifts. But, but don't, look, don't use your gift as a way to be recognized. That's, I think, when it's getting into trouble. Yeah. yeah. That's it? Cool. All right. Um, well, we're going we're gonna to gather around communion now and, and respond to this through, uh, through communion, through worship. Um, I just wanted to encourage us with a thought. Um, Haynes has a, has a um, encouragement for us in, uh, in a word, so uh, I'll hand over to you in a minute, Haynes. But I just wanted to encourage us with, when we gather around communion this morning, um, there, there may be ways uh, where you have felt um, that someone has used power over you. And I was reflecting on, on this during the week, even, even for my own life, and thinking about are there ways that I've used power um, over people? And I really felt actually to, to actually apologize if there has been anyone here that I have um, used power to, um, in, in some way, control or, um, you know, in, in a wrong way. And the way that I would use that for myself is knowledge. That, that, you know, I, I'm a person who loves, loves to read, loves to think. I'm, I'm a deep thinker. Uh, and sometimes I could have used that in a wrong way. Uh, made someone feel inferior or less than um, because of, in, in using knowledge. And so I just want to um, apologize for that. And if that is you, I'd love, I'd love to give you a hug and say sorry. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, if the, as we gather around communion, Maybe you feel like you've used power in some way that has made someone else feel inferior. I encourage you maybe just go to them and, and apologize. Make it right. Or maybe there's someone where you've felt someone's done that to you. I encourage you to go to them. Be bold and say, hey, I forgive you. But let's use this time as we gather around communion to just one, on, one, another, one another a little bit. And... Uh, Let's respond. If you've got a word for someone, do that. Someone on your heart, pray for them. I encourage Missy with this. Yeah. Cool, let me pray. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, that you have shown us the way. And I just thank you that we're, you know, we're gonna sing the song Waymaker. I thank you that your way is not something we need to look for or find or 
it's not a secret, you've, you've laid it out for us with your life and your teaching. And so we are the people who are saying you are the way maker and we're gonna follow you in your way. We're gonna be the people who follow you so we can shine bright as stars in this dark world. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are leading us, guiding us. And as we lay down our lives, we have been conformed into the image and likeness of you, Jesus. Yeah, we thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, I encourage you to come. Let's take communion. Let's worship together. Thanks, Tim.